Welcome listeners. If you are new to the GCLI podcast, thank you so much for checking us out. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. It is not every day that I have the opportunity to spotlight someone whose research has the potential to radically change the dynamics of the classroom, boardroom, and family unit. I'm a bit starstruck by his credentials, but I've also had the chance to see him in action and know him to be super approachable and truly dedicated to the transformative nature of his work. Dr. Stuart Ablon specializes in understanding challenging behaviors of all types and in all people. He is the director of Think Kids at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he is the Thomas G. Stenberg Endowed Chair at Harvard Medical School. He helps patients, educators, managers, leaders, and administrators through his collaborative problem-solving approach, also known as CPS. He is the author of Changeable, How CPS Changes Lives at Home, at School, and at Work, He makes Boston, Massachusetts its home, but I had the chance to meet with him and when he was the keynote speaker at the 2021 GCLI Leadership Lab. It is my true pleasure to introduce all of you to Dr. Stuart Ablon. Stuart, welcome. Thank you very much. It's really an honor and a a privilege to be here. I appreciate you having me. Oh, we are so excited to have you. Um, Has anybody ever told you that you are kind of a big deal? Um, no, so thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> you are so welcome. Um, honestly, when I was checking out the Think Kids website and saw numerous statistics, but one jumped out at me um, as really startling, and that was the seventy percent, seventy three percent reduction in oppositional behaviors that uh, you found by students and I guess other individuals who use the CPS approach. I think that's a pretty, pretty big deal. Well, I, I agree, and I, but I work as a part of an uh, incredible team of dedicated folks who are sharing this work in all parts of the, the world. So uh, I'm honored to be a part of the team, and I agree, it's crucial work, and I'm thrilled that we're able to make a difference like we are. Oh, thank you. Uh, one of the, your mantras that really resonates with me, and I see it a lot in leadership development, but I've never really thought about it in the in the way that you have presented it, and that is skill, not will. Um, can you unpack that a little bit for me? Sure. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I'll take one step back even further than that to uh, what we call sort of the philosophy behind our work. Uh, and that philosophy, when applied to, to kids, goes like this. Kids do well if they can, which is meant to stand in contrast to more common ways that people think about kids, which sounds a lot more like kids do well if they want to. Uh, You see, most people um, think kids do well if they want to, and if a kid's not doing well, it must be because they don't want to. So they set out trying to make kids want to do well, to behave better, for instance. Uh, But we actually believe that all kids want to do well. I mean, I've yet to meet the kid that prefers doing poorly to doing well. Uh, we, so we believe kids do well if they can, not if they want right. to. And um, if a kid's not doing well, our belief is that there are important reasons why. There are things that are getting in the way, and it's up to us adults to figure out what's getting in their way so we can help. And part of that is paying attention to what we have learned in the last 50 years, research in the neurosciences. And what that has really showed beyond the shadow of a doubt is that when a kid or anybody for that matter, an adult, one of us too, is struggling to behave well in whatever setting, that it's really 
not the case that that's somebody who's lacking motivation to behave well. What they're struggling with are the skills necessary to behave well. So what you've described, our mantra, skill, not will, is basically saying, look, we've learned from all the research in neurosciences. We know how the brain develops, and we know when somebody's struggling to manage their behavior. It's because they're struggling with skill, not will. They're struggling with the skills needed to behave well, not the desire or the motivation to behave better. Exactly. And as parents, teachers, mentors, coaches, I mean, that's isn't that the our job, our task to give them those skills, right? <laughs> it is. But you know, what's interesting is the more challenging somebody's behavior is, the harder it is to hold on to that role and the notion that kids do well if they can. And this is about skill, not will. Because the bottom line is, you know, if somebody behaves in a challenging way, it's frustrating. Um, it, it you know, it gets us upset. It gets in my world. I'm a clinical psychologist. We, you know, we call it uh, when people get dysregulated. When, uh, you know, somebody behaves in a very challenging fashion and you're trying to get them to do something or stop doing something and they won't, um, it gets us dysregulated. And at the worst, we feel threatened. We feel disrespected. We feel ineffective. We feel like our authorities question. And then it gets ugly. Um, and honestly, that's when we sort of reach for, you know, power and control back, which just makes matters worse. So while we all yeah. know, yes, parents, teachers, mentors, of course, that's our job. Easier said than done in the face of challenging behavior. Absolutely. I mean, it really and that's what I think this approach, this approach is so cool because it's it, it seems so simple, but it is so difficult because of the the human That's side right. of this problem, right? I didn't. You just described my my day today. We got out of school early today, actually, and and I had a couple of kids who who made me feel all those things: disrespected, <laughs> um, frustrated, uh, not good at my job. And I don't know many teachers who go into this profession who sign up for that particular or, or, part or of their parents job. or supervisors right. or managers or yeah and you know I, I think one of the things about our work um that it, that uh, you know has been attractive to folks is it is simple and that the the philosophy is simple the frameworks are simple um but i always say don't confuse simple with easy right as you right. just said yeah this it's hard you know there's no magic out there this is hard work um but you know the concepts are simple I'd like to um, give you a little a little happy for you. Um, I like to give my guests as a token of my appreciation for coming a little bit of third hand positive feedback. And a couple of nights ago, I was on a call with uh, a former GCLI lab participant who said that this work and this framework has radically changed the way she does her job and how she feels about her job. She works with a lot of students who have disciplinary problems and her room has been the room to avoid at all costs. And now because of this, um, she's able to with confidence sit back and understand what the problem is from the student's point of view and work towards a collaborative solution. So it is that's, it's incredible. Yeah. That's fantastic to hear. You know, that's, I mean, that's why I do this work. Hearing that is just incredibly touching and, and, heartwarming and and you know it reminds me too of it's not only uh, sort of you know easier and more enjoyable to to work in a situation where you're not confronted with challenges and challenging behavior that you're having a hard time handling but one of the things that this work does is it really shifts 
people's ideas of their role, right? Because it, it, it okay. goes from the adults feeling like their job is to sort of, uh, you know, lord power and control, utilize their power differential over kids to sort of get them to comply, which is an unpleasant role to a role that's born of empathy and acceptance mm -hmm. and listening hard and partnering with kids and helping them develop skills. And, and it's very, it's relationship based. And right. um, there's nothing more fulfilling than being able to help people in the context of a, a relationship. And so it sort of transforms people's jobs when they went for sort of, you know, from the punitive role of, of trying to keep people, you know, keep things under wraps to, um, you know, really building relationship and helping people develop their skills. Absolutely. And therein lies, the, I think, the, the best connection and segue into how this really works with the pedagogy of leadership, right? Um, in, in my opinion, um, and I think in the, in the work that we've seen out of the GCLI, is all about these teachable moments. And this work capitalizes on those tough situations that, um, but that give us teachable moments day in and day out. And we just have to see them and, and use them in a relational way. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. They're opportunities. You know, I always tell people, look, if you're confronted with a lot of challenging behavior, the bad news is you're confronted with a lot of challenging behavior. <laughs> the good news is each one of those incidents is an opportunity lying in wait. It's those are the problems to solve. And when you use collaborative problem solving to try to work on those problems, you're not just trying to reduce challenging behavior. That's where you are building relationship and building skills. And look, leadership, and I think the reason, you know, my work is, is uh, you know, works so synergistically with, uh, you know, GCLI is when you think about good leadership, effective leadership, what is it all about? You know, it's not born of, of using power and control. No, it's born of recognizing that, you know, good leaders don't have all the answers. They're very good at asking questions and understanding other people's perspectives and encouraging teams to work together to come up with creative solutions to problems and in doing so build relationships and build all kinds of, of social thinking skills, cognitive flexibility skills, um, emotion regulation skills, all kinds of skills that get built when you work together to solve problems. And so that's why I think you know this, this work goes hand in hand. Well, I love it. I love it. Can you, for listeners who may not be familiar with uh, CPS, can you give us a quick little rundown of what it is and how it works? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, you know, we, we already, to be honest, talked about in my mind, um, more than half of the approach is about the mindset. It's approaching people through the lens of not just kids do well if they can, but people do well if they can, right? We are all doing the best we can to handle what the world's throwing at us with the skills we have, or the skills we're at least able to apply in that moment. So it's the mindset, people do well if they can. This is about skill, not will. But then, you know, we, we have a very particular assessment process that we teach that helps people to not focus on challenging behavior, but the antecedents to it, the situations in which it happens, because those are the problems to solve. I mean, you can't solve a behavior, but you can solve a problem that leads to a behavior not you're, that you're not wild about. So we focus on those things and we help identify what skills 
somebody struggling with that are leading to those situations being problematic in the first place. And we have a you know empirically validated measure, a skills assessment that um, looks at five different areas of neurocognitive skill and helps people identify uh, you know where somebody's struggling. And by the way, everybody has strengths on that list and everybody has uh, you know relative areas of weakness. We're all working on something. Absolutely. You know, in your book, Changeable, I think it, um, I loved it. it. Maybe it's towards the end of the text. It, uh, you, you discovered that you have an overactive brain. And, and when I thought that was a very, um, I loved how vulnerable you were with that. And I share that, uh, that quality, I believe. So, um, yeah, everybody was, at any stage has something to work on. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, they, they hooked me up to all these electrodes and, and uh, had me do these tasks at one of the labs that we collaborate with. And and uh, I, I looked a lot like uh, my brain looked a lot like a, the brain of a kid with um, some pretty tough ADHD symptoms. Uh, you know, it was a bit o- overly active, although um, I, I didn't have a terribly hard time focusing, um, which was helpful. But uh, but yeah, everybody's working on something. We all are. And actually, the, exactly. when you take a look down that list, you know, it's not only helpful thinking about your interactions with others. It, it transforms how you think about others, whether it's, you know, your your in-law or your colleague, your friend, your partner or your child or your student. You arrive at a much more empathic understanding place when you see them through the lens of skill, not will. But you can do the same with yourself. Um, and right. that's crucial. Now. You asked about the specifics of collaborative problem solving, you know, the lens through which you look at people, that's one part. Then, you know, this is a good example of of, uh, simple, but not easy. We basically say, hey, look, pick any problem you got with anybody and you only got three options. Um, There's only three different ways to attack a problem. And we call those your three plans. We call it plan A when you try to impose your will to make somebody do what you want them to do. Whether you do that nicely or harshly, it's plan A. Um, and the goal is just trying to get them to do what you want them to do. We call it plan B when you try to solve a problem together with somebody. And here's an important phrase. It's not just that you're doing it together, but you're doing it together to try to solve the problem in a mutually satisfactory way. We call that plan B. And then we call it plan C when you decide, you know what? You're going to sort of drop your expectation for now or solve it the way the other person wants it solved uh, for now, not forever. Uh, but it's sort of prioritizing, if you will. And, you know, uh, in our world, unfortunately, uh, if people are in a position of power, as parents and teachers um, are in terms of the power differential that exists, people overuse plan A. And even if it gets their expectations met, it doesn't build relationships and it certainly doesn't build skills. And one of my big beefs with plan A is it also teaches the next generation of adults that when they get bigger and stronger, that's how they should solve problems when they come up. Um, what it doesn't teach them is what plan B teaches, which is when there's a problem, maybe the best thing to do, the most important thing to do is to try to listen hard to the other person first and understand their perspective. And if you do that, they're going to be more likely to understand your perspective, your point of view, your concerns. And then you can try to put your heads together to solve the problem in a mutually satisfactory way, which is true leadership. And of course, yep. plan C is there if you need it because you can't, collaboratively problem solve everything all at once, you've got to um, prioritize some. So that's the overarching framework. And then if you want, I could just give a really quick overview of what plan B looks like, because, you know, of course, that's the heat. That's the heart of collaborative problem solving. I would love it. 
please. Yes. <laughs> All right. So the, again, plan B. This is perhaps a better example of simple but not easy. There's only three ingredients to plan B, right? So <laughs> how hard can it be? Pretty hard. Um, we call the first ingredient the empathy ingredient. Uh, and it's basically where you play detective and you ask a lot of questions. You take guesses if need be. You do a lot of active, reflective listening. Um, all aimed at trying to understand the other person's point of view about whatever problem you're trying to solve, their perspective, what's hard about a situation for them, what their concerns are. Um, and you really oftentimes, especially with people who have a hard time staying regulated in these conversations, you're uh, using a lot of reassurance to let them know that this is not tricky plan A. You're not trying to hear them out and impose your will, that you really want to understand what's going on. You know they've got good concerns and you're just trying to learn. And it's only once you understand the other person's concern, and as a result, they're also regulated and available, do you move to what we call the second ingredient of plan B, which is where you share your concern. Because you've now heard their concern, now you get to share your concern. And just to be clear, not your solution to the problem, but why you think this is a problem in the first place. What do you care about? What's your concern, your perspective, your point of view? And I always tell people, the way to know you're doing plan B is by checking how many sets of concerns you have on the table. Because if you huh. only have one set of concerns on the table and it's the adults, you're headed right for plan A, whether it's collaborative or not. And if you only have one set of concerns on the table and it's the child's, you're headed for plan C. The way to do plan B is you've got to have both sets of concerns on the table. But okay. a big mistake we adults make is we start with our perspective or concern. And most of the time, what that induces is some form of dissociation from kids where they nod at us and are thinking, how do I get out of this conversation as quickly as possible? Um, it's dysregulating to hear somebody else's concerns when they're in a position of power. So you start by hearing the kid's concern and perspective first to, regu okay. to regulate them. Yeah. And only once they're regulated are they going to be ready to hear your concern. And once you have both sets of concerns on the table and the kid is still regulated, you move to the third and final ingredient. We call it the collaborate ingredient. And it's literally where you invite the person to collaborate on brainstorming solutions. But very importantly, solutions that do what? That address both sets of concerns. Not one or the other. I mean, most adults are guilty when they first try this of just inviting kids to solve the problem in a way that works for the adults. Um, and kids play along and tell us what they think we want to hear. Um, no, this is how do we solve it in a way that is mutually satisfactory and also realistic and doable. And, you know, you gave some examples earlier. I mean, we find whether it's teachers, parents, whomever, when people start to approach problems in that way with those three simple but hard ingredients, you see dramatic shifts. You see much less challenging behavior. You see improvements in relationships. But the other really cool thing is you see improvements in skills. So you literally see neurocognitive skill development. Uh, and our research team has shown this. And perhaps my favorite finding of them all is that it's not just the kids whose skills develop, it's the adults too. We adults, when we practice this as parents, as teachers, we actually get better at skills related to flexibility, frustration tolerance, problem solving, etc. And, you know, what better way to lead, for example, than a way that helps everybody, including yourself, build skills.
Exactly. I mean, sign me up. I and and <laughs> guilty as charged. I mean, I am so quick to tell my kids, tell my students, this is what I think you need to do. This is how I think you need to do it. And I often get that uh huh uh huh uh huh that look uh, that that says, yeah, I'm 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 hearing you, but I'm not really listening. And and then nothing really changes. So sign me up. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm and, on and, it. You know, <laughs> you know the, the thing is, if you, if you are working with a kid or with kids who really struggle with skills in areas like problem solving, flexibility, frustration, mm-hmm. tolerance, uh, it, you know, it's not just that they'll tune you out. That's where you see very challenging behavior because plan A actually lights the fuse. It, it causes mm-hmm. challenging behavior. But, you know, even with kids who have good skills, decent skills, there's a great rationale to be doing a lot more plan B. Because as I mentioned before, um, you know, otherwise kids are just waiting to, you know, till they grow up and they can use plan A on other people. Um, wouldn't it right. be exciting to imagine the future where, you know, future generation of adults, when there's a problem, their first thought is, I better hear you out. And if yeah. you hear me out, you're more, if I hear you out, you're more likely to hear me out. And then my job is to see if we can arrive at some win-win solutions to this problem. Well, it's it's truly transformative work, and I cannot thank you enough for it. And I am pretty sure I'm correct in that you will be um, helping the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute with more collaborative work. Do you care to share anything about that? Yeah, you know, last uh, summer was my first time um, getting involved, uh, and I loved it. It was great fun. I think the only problem was that I felt like we just were scratching the surface, and I would have loved more time. Such a great group of people, um, and such great learning that can happen together. So I'm looking forward to it. I will be back uh, next year. I already got it on my calendar, signed up, um, and I'm looking forward to, in particular, to really trying to, to tie this work uh, to some of the core concepts and teaching uh, uh, that GCLI does. And, and I think in our discussions last year, what we learned is uh, collaborative problem solving has something to offer when it comes to operationalizing mm-hmm. much of what um, has been taught, what GCLI has been teaching and emphasizing. And it sort of helps take it the next step a little bit further in terms of practically speaking, okay, what do I do and how do I say this and how do I manage this? So there's some incredible synergy there and um, I can't wait to be back. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait to have you back. Um, Until then, how can listeners uh, find you? Uh, Sure. So they can find our program, which is in the Department of Psychiatry at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital um, on the web. It's ThinkKids. ThinkKids.org is the URL on the web. Uh, A lot of stuff there for parents, for teachers, for clinicians, for all kinds of folks to begin to learn the model or to sign up for, you know, more intensive training. And you can find uh, folks can find me on the web uh, on the web as well at uh, StuartAblon.com or uh, or on Twitter or other places as well. So uh, please seek me out. I'd love to connect with people. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and the good work you're doing. It is truly remarkable and transformative. Thank you. Thank you. Well, a pleasure. Thanks so much for helping me uh, spread the word that there's a different way to think about kids, a different way to think about leadership and problem solving. And uh, it's wonderful to hear that the work is uh, appreciated and, and helpful. So really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Sure thing.